Hello and welcome to Irreverent Testimony brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by Inform Millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It is Saturday, October 13th. 2018. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. Of course, we were not on the air last week uh, when Kavanaugh got confirmed. And yeah, I just want to um, say that, like, I just couldn't do it. Uh, I just couldn't do it last week. And I'm not going to apologize about that because it just is what it is. Um, it was just too fucking real and fresh and uh i didn't have the emotional um labor left in me to talk about it last week yeah um just didn't have it so uh we can talk about it if you want um yeah i kind of think we have to um what it means and what it all means going forward and uh how where we go from here i think uh I think we need to talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, to sort of skip over the drama, there was, you know, the last minute drama with Jeff Flake saying, "Oh, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna vote to confirm unless I get this investigation." Turns out the investigation was kind of a sham. Not kind of a sham. Yeah, it was a joke. The FBI didn't interview Dr. Ford or Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. Nor did they interview any possible corroborating witnesses so yeah, they didn't you can't follow up on any leads corroboration or... if you don't talk to people who could corroborate a story um apparently this was a <clears throat> limit imposed on the fbi by the white house mm-hmm. um in requesting the investigation and so it wasn't an investigation it was no. some bullshit yeah the fix was in basically yeah <clears throat> so Anyway, he got confirmed, and and we kind of figured he would. And Susan Collins made this really grotesque speech yeah. about how he no, he's actually going to protect Roe v. Wade, and he's actually going to protect Obamacare, and he's actually going to protect voting rights, and he's a great guy, and blah blah blah. And Not only did she do that, but then she went after um, essentially Dr. Ford uh-huh. and her um, believability, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, well, she was really contradictory in the things she was saying. She's like, yes, Dr. Ford's totally credible and something happened to her, but she seems to be inferred that she was making stuff up or it was just she was mistaken. incoherent. Yeah. Um, it was truly uh, a demonstration of uh, being a traitor to one's gender yeah. for me. Um, I think never that's fair. Never been a fan of Susan Collins, but... Um, this was a particularly uh, tough blow, not because she's someone that I admire that disappointed me, but because <laughs> no. she went on the floor of the Senate and um, made a speech that essentially um, made the talking points of people who uh, hate us and yeah. don't believe us and don't think that um, our stories matter or that they're valid. Um, and she did that from a position of power and from coming from a woman, um, was especially hard because it gives some sort of, um, validity, I think, to some people who already want to think that way. Mm-hmm. And so to hear it from her was really hard. 
Susan Collins is obnoxious in a myriad other ways too. It's one thing if you're gonna like the the media loves to laud her as this maverick and she goes her own way and she bucks the party. She really doesn't. No. Very, very, very rarely make people believe that she will, but she doesn't. She doesn't. And then she says these ridiculous things like when people start a, a pack or an organization to uh, to donate to her opponent, she she calls it bribery, right? So which, which doesn't make like any just, sense. Just like you know, adding insult to injury, there was this um, crowdfunding drive that uh, twenty bucks for twenty twenty, right? That's when mm-hmm. she's up for reelection. Mm-hmm. Uh, if she votes no, then they just would not collect all the pledged money that people had said they would give if she voted yes on Kavanaugh then they would collect that money and they would then give that money to her primary opponent or her opponent generally um in 2020 and uh it went crazy and I think the last number I heard was that they collected 3.5 million dollars um to fund her opponent in 2020 and she came out and said um, that this was buying votes. Yeah, can we talk about just how... How absurd that is? Like, just in such bad faith to make that argument it is, because yes. her, like many other politicians from both parties, take takes a shitload of special interest money. Shitload. Yes. She takes money from the from the energy industry. She takes money from the private prison industry. She takes money from the defense in, uh, industry. So what's that? Right. Is that not if you're going to quantify it that way then that that's not bribe so money? Individual citizens How all donating dare she? all donating $20. Individual citizens of this country donating $20 is somehow buying her vote or or trying to bribe her or trying to blackmail her? Now, yeah. But I, a corporation or a special interest group donating That's free speech. Millions of dollars is that, free speech. That's free speech. It's really um the worst yeah it's really upsetting yeah fuck her and she's she's done stuff like this before remember before when she was taking a lot of heat for god i don't remember what it was some other grotesque thing she was doing she cried sexism she said oh no you're coming after me for my vote because i'm a woman right and and it's like it didn't even make sense like on what planet does that (laughs) you even where are you coming from lady it's like she really is awful. Like at least when you have these these garbage people like John Cornyn and and uh, Orrin Hatch, it's like we know what they are. We know what they've always been. They're horrible, mm-hmm. gross, conservative white men who think women are second class citizens. And that's no, they their think thing. women are not people, right? And the thing that I think has been really the hardest for me and for the people in my life that I've talked to about this, the women in particular. Um, is trying to find the distinction between whether they really hate us this much, if it's that, or if they just really, we just really don't fucking matter. And I don't know which one is worse. You know, I think there's a third option. I think it's fear, fear of losing hegemony. I I think that the system that has worked for so long, um, where they don't have to answer to women in any fundamental way uh that being threatened and and this is a a much bigger broader uh view of of just trumpism and the 
sort of resurgence of the angry uh, white America over the last, you know, eight to 12 years. Um, you think all these, all these changes that we've seen in some people's opinions, not enough and not fast enough, but granted changes very suddenly a big shift in people's opinions of accepting of LGBT people and trans, more trans people coming out and more aggressive attempts at least to equal the, equal the pay gap and paid maternity leave and all these things. Uh, and there's a backlash to that. And, and I think a lot of that is just is a product of that. And I think Kavanaugh then be, has become much bigger than the individual, um, the allegations and, and the Christine Blasey Ford stuff. And, and of course, I'm not saying that's not the important thing we, sh- we shouldn't be focusing on. But like he's become sort of a symbol, yeah. I think, of, hey, hey, this is all happening too fast you can't tell me, you know, just I wake up after 15 or 20 years and, you know, white, white men aren't matter. on top. Yeah. Right. And suddenly women matter. Right. But that's the thing is that we don't. Well, not to them. We don't. That's it. I mean, in the current system that we have. We don't. Our stories, no matter how believable they are, how raw they are, how loud we are, don't. Ultimately, they don't matter. It doesn't make a difference. All of that pain and all of that ripping open of wounds, all of that shit made zero difference. It didn't matter. Because fundamentally, they don't believe that we matter. And so it was really hard. It's still really hard. It's, it's, it's like we always knew that that was true, right? But in this like really profound way, they just reminded us, like, just so you know, just in case you forgot, yeah. just in case you thought maybe this Me Too thing would make a difference or, or matter or mean something. We're still in charge and you still don't fucking matter. Yeah. No matter how public and how wide and how many protests and how many women got arrested. You don't matter. You can scream at us in an elevator, right? Mass protests can happen. The will of the people doesn't fucking matter. Because women's stories, women's pain got flipped around. And it became men's pain. Mm-hmm. It became men are the victimization danger. of men. Yeah. And how scary it must be for men now. Because if you do something that men have always done, how scary if someone said that you did it and yeah. people would think badly of you. Mm-hmm. They flipped it around into this victimization and they weaponized this male victimization and entitlement and and rage at women coming forward and speaking their truth and saying it's not okay to do this to us. They weaponized the rage against that and the backlash is that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. It's this idea that how dare you? How dare you threaten to take down this system which wasn't built for you? Right? Wasn't ever meant for you. And you questioning it 
and questioning me, questioning me publicly in front of the Senate, saying out loud this thing I did to you, which I probably don't even remember doing because I doesn't it doesn't come on my radar because I don't give a and shit. And I right? was blackout drunk. How dare you question me mm-hmm. in public? How dare you try to question my authority, my entitlement to this job, my status as a white man? How dare you? And so they, they turned that rage into this victimization of all of these women are doing these things now and it's really scary for men and it's really awful for men and look what's happening to these men. And And, and to a greater degree, they're taking that to the nth degree and saying that all us liberals who are angry are an angry, unruly mob. A violent mob who's Mm going to smash in everybody's doors and, and it's like, well... Keep going this way, and yeah, you we're, you're, you are pushing us there. Self-fulfilling prophecy. You are pushing us there. That's right. Uh, let, let's get into the politics of this for a moment, because it, it's it got a little weird. There's this thing that happens. Let, let me let me try to paint a broader picture for a minute. In the era of Trump, um, once Trump actually took office, and people were like, "Oh my God, this guy's actually going to be president!" Like there was a pretty powerful resistance. And there has been, and it's been pretty consistent. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's been bad news after bad news. And, and also and, led and by women. Also led by out. women, yes. And Trump keeps fucking up or saying horrible things, and these scandals come out, and it's just this, this you know, this constant drumbeat of, you know, this is, this is fucking awful. And, and, but every once in a while, Republicans say, Okay, I've had enough. I've had enough of the bad news. I've had enough getting picked on. They get their backs up, and then they get fired up, and then they they they, they roar. And then that shows up in some polls, and that shows up in online, and that shows up on Fox News. And that happened with Kavanaugh, right? It, mm-hmm. it was just weeks and weeks of this bad news and more allegations coming out and shit spiraling out of control. And they got their backs up, and they said, "No, no, no, enough of this. We're we're sick of, we're sick of getting whipped up on, mm-hmm. basically, right?" Mm-hmm. And Trump and the party really took that and said, oh, we got something here. Mm-hmm. We got this energy and the, and the country's actually behind us. And now we're going to we're going to push this thing and we're going to make Kavanaugh a saint. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the short term that it, it kind of made it look like that's going to be a big thing. But how long is that going to carry that that reverse outrage that we dared question the great Kavanaugh versus the combined with how pissed women already are in the, in the age of Trump since inauguration day, add this to it. I I think our anger's got a little more staying power. Well, our anger is our actual lived experience. Yes. And so it's not this imagined outrage of this imagined slight of this imagined victimization. It is actual anger over actual violence Mm -hmm. and actual discrimination right that we have as our lived experience so no ours doesn't fucking go away it doesn't go away because it is our like life it's literally the lived experience of all of the women that i know Mm -hmm. and so no you can get mad and you can say well i don't want the status quo to be disrupted and i'm super mad right now and blah and then you there but there is no there is no 
harm. There, there is no incident. There is no hurt. There is no actual harm that has been done to these people. And so, of course, it's fleeting. But ours will never be fleeting. It doesn't go away. Because it's, you know, there. It's actual harm. It's, it's our lived experience in the world. Mm-hmm. So I think that you're right. And I think... <clears throat> I think that some of these white men would argue that they do feel this actual harm, but it's not true, right? If you look at their lived experience, what has been taken away? All of it's really just this idea, right, of what Mm -hmm. they think should be theirs and isn't feel like it might be anymore, but it still is. It's still theirs, right? They're still in control. They still have everything. <clears throat> that their fathers and grandfathers had. The only difference is that there's criticism about those things. Right. But there is no there 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 is no like actual tangible thing that's been taken away from them. There is there that doesn't exist. And so there's a fear that exists that I think for them feels tangible, but there isn't a violence. There isn't a harm that's been caused. There isn't mm-hmm. a loss. Right. It's just a fear. It's an anxiety. Right. That that causes their behavior and their actions and their beliefs. Ours is much more tangible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and like we can dissect it eight ways from Sunday to how that's going to translate to November. But uh, which is now only 20, 24 days away. Uh, 20, I think. Days away. Yeah. We're 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 running out of time here. But um I think the important thing to note is that Rich McConnell came out and said, oh, this will just blow. Yeah, women are angry. It'll blow over. Like, dude, it's not blowing over. No. And now that he kind of realizes it's not blowing over, he's scared. And now we have to turn it to this angry mob of of Mm pitchfork-wielding women are going to come stab us in the nuts. And like, yeah. Probably. Probably. Yep. We we, we could very well get there. And there were days, I remember... <clears throat> there were times when women <laughs> would take great offense at the uh, characterization of them by like the Pat Robertsons of the world, right? As mm, like quaint days, yeah. witches and lesbians who were coming after us, right? Mm-hmm. And we would be like, "That's ridiculous!" And feminists, we don't hate men, and it's not about that, and it's just about equality. And it's like that's like a rallying cry now mm-hmm. yeah i'm a witchy fucking queer who's gonna come after you with a goddamn pitchfork watch out that's all true now <laughs> i don't does that's a rallying cry mm-hmm. for most of the women that i know it's no longer about let's kumbaya and make men feel comfortable inside the feminist movement so that it can help us fuck you <laughs> fuck you all of you fuck you yeah you're either with me or you're my enemy period i have no room for gray area anymore I don't have any space for it. Our literal lives and freedoms are at stake. Mm-hmm. The very control over my physical body is no longer assured. So, yeah, I'm a witchy queer who's going to come after you with a fucking pitchfork. Fair. Fair. And I'm going to eat the rich. And it's not just about voting, right? No. I think we're, that's the other thing that this week has sort of brought into pretty clear focus for you and I and the people that we know is it is about voting. Mm-hmm. You have to do that. I mean, you have some semblance of 
hopeful, maybe pushback against some of the awfulness that's coming because we'll have some semblance of power, some foot in the door, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's so important. And so many of these candidates will represent so many different views than we have right now with this fucking old crusty white men that mm-hmm. I'm coming after with my queer pitchfork. Um, but I think the time has come for more than that. You got to vote and you got to help people register to vote and you got to knock on doors and you got to engage in the electoral political process that that's, but that's the fucking bare minimum, mm-hmm. right? The time has come really for activism, yeah. I think. Um, and activism in a direct way, like direct political action, I think. And we saw some of that in the Kavanaugh hearings. You know, I think over 30 women were arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we may be entering an era where Time has come for more of that, more civil disobedience, more. I mean, get out the fucking vote for Christ's sake, but maybe think about ways that we can do more. Yeah. You know, maybe think about ways that we can disrupt this and make ourselves such a thorn in their side that something happens. We'll we'll have to. Yeah, we will absolutely have to, because. Like they're they are not going to stop, especially because they really feel uh, for whether they're in their bubble or they're in denial or they're just stupid. Like they feel the wind is at their backs. They they think they've won. Not only have they won by getting Kavanaugh on the bench, they honestly feel like they have won the the messaging and the mm-hmm. hearts and and minds of America mm-hmm. with this. Mm-hmm. That it's on their side. Right. So right, they're not going to stop. <laughs> They're not going to no. moderate. No. They're not going to capitulate. No. If anything, they feel emboldened. Yes. Um, and <clears throat> just to underscore the importance of electoral politics for a minute, because I know that something that I sometimes bash lately, because I just feel like sometimes it isn't enough. Um, on November 8th of 2016, that's the day when we knew that Brett Kavanaugh was going to be confirmed to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Right. And we we warned you. So this was always going to be the case. This was always going to happen. And we put up a good fight and we made a lot of people uncomfortable and we talked about really important things and we ripped open our fucking wounds to the world. And I think it matters that we did that. But also just remember like elections do have consequences It is important to vote. It is important to go to the polls because this could have been prevented had we elected someone different. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we didn't do that. No. And so this was inevitable from November 8th, 2016. This was always going to happen. And I know that's not a comfortable thing to hear, but it's true. And so with the midterm election coming up in 20 days, I just want you to remember how you felt on November 8th, late at night, or on November 9th when it was confirmed that this fucking monster was going to be the president. Remember that feeling, right? Let's not have that feeling again. Right? Let's make sure that we don't have that feeling again. 
Because if we don't make some serious advances on November 8th, I think we're done. Yeah. I really do. I, I, I don't see a future that is anything other than, you know, then some it is, sort of... Then dis- it is like guerrilla warfare fighting is, for our lives. Right. It's literally like, yeah, it's a civil war. So it's important to vote. It's important because I don't want to have to go smash things in the streets. I don't want to have to literally fight with my physical body for my life and my friends' lives. I would like to restore some sense of order in the world and some sense of protection for my friends and and myself and my family. Um, I would like to not have to do that. And so that's like the reality of, I think, this election is that's how important it is. Yeah. Well, let's talk about where we are politically and as far as polls and stuff. I mean, it looks like uh, I think a lot can happen in 20 days, obviously. And but it looks like, you know, we're we're probably going to take back the House by how much and how many seats remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. This Kavanaugh thing actually may have helped Republicans in terms of holding on to the Senate, which was always likely to begin with the, yeah. pro- the, the problem. Here, here's the thing. The, the Kavanaugh reaction has been very asymmetrical. Uh, we see a lot of these overall polls, like, do you approve or disapprove of Kavanaugh? And Kavanaugh is still underwater, but, like, that's not uniform. When like, you bear down into the polls, the gender gap is fucking crazy. Well, I'm not talking about the gender gap. I'm talking about geography. Oh. In, in places like Texas and Oklahoma and Tennessee, uh... They the the right is fired up about the Kavanaugh thing, and it woke them up a little bit. In in the bluer states, like it's not it has hurt Republicans. The problem is, we are trying to pick up a few Senate seats or hold a few Senate seats in red states. Yeah. So, it's it's a little weird like that, and and, and I think some of that, at least in the very recent polling, and again, this could change. Could change in a week. Could change in ten days. But I I, I, I think that hold on, I think that's helped. Uh, Blackburn in Tennessee widen her margin a little bit. I think that's helped Cruz in Texas widen his margin a little bit. I think that's helped uh, maybe possibly Barry Heitkamp, who had a tough vote and voted not to confirm uh, Kavanaugh. Heidi Heitkamp? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but I, I, politically aside, it d- doesn't matter. Like, it was the right thing to resist this guy. And at the end of the day, if. If making Kavanaugh a martyr figure or somebody to rally behind is what fires up Republicans, what does that tell you about Republicans? Right. Right. We can't fight evil by capitulating to it. Nope. And, you know, there was this big scandal this week about um, Eric Holder and him saying, when they go low, we should kick them. And They took it literally? I mean, I think that's right. <laughs> it's absolutely right. I think that's right. I think that the time has passed for civility. I don't think that you can be civil and negotiate with people who wish that you did not exist. Exactly. And hist- history shows us that that's true. And so I think we're past this time of when they go low, we go high. Fuck that. Fuck that. When they go low, yeah. we go lower, and we fucking kick them while they're down. That's it. Well, We're done with yeah. this idea that we have this moral high ground, 
And if we're just nice and if we're just civil and we explain ourselves properly, people will come around. This isn't that anymore. We're done. That's not where we are. We can't do that anymore. Yeah. You can't reason with people who are unreasonable. You can't reason with fucking Nazis. And and so they push us to that point and now they're going to turn around and try to use it against us. Um, they're they're going to they're going to say they're they're making the appeal to the soccer moms and the grandmas that the Antifa mobs mm-hmm. and the feminist witches are out mm-hmm. ready to smash in your windows and kick in your doors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can't be cowed by that. Nope. We absolutely can't. Of course, it doesn't help their case when then they turn around and the Proud Boys come out the and beat Boys. a bunch of fucking people up and the police arrest their victims. Yeah. 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 So there's that. But look, I no, the feminist witches are coming. And and and, and, yeah. and we can't be slowed down by by the Fox News and even the mainstream media gets into it. Oh, is the tone <laughs> too harsh or the are liberals being too aggressive? And, you know, fuck, fuck that. Fuck, em. fuck you. Fuck them. Yes, we are being we are meeting you where you're meeting us. Your insistence that I not have autonomy over my body, that I am less than a human being, that my friends and loved ones, it's perfectly fine to murder them in the streets because that they're just not as much people as we are people. Mm-hmm. I'm meeting you where you're meeting me, which is fuck you. And I will fight fire with fire. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. We can't. We don't we can't afford to. So yeah, maybe they'll turn it around. Oh, they're so violent, these Antifa. Antifa means anti fucking fascist. Oh, it's just a boogeyman word. I mean you But know. think about it. It's like MS thirteen. How are you not anti fascist? <laughs> That's what you're saying. The anti-fascists are coming. That should be like fucking, thank God. Yeah, right. Right? The people who don't like fascists are coming. The people who don't like Nazis are coming. Oh, good. Well, that would be common sense. Uh, and, and we are way past that. Yeah. <laughs> common sense is completely out the window. Uh, which, on, on that note, we got a lot to talk about. Let's... Can I, I read a thing but that relates yeah. directly to this really quick? Yeah, go ahead. This, um... Article came across my uh, social media. I'm sure a lot of you have read it already, but I asked Travis and you had not read it yet. So given that, I think it's important and I'd like to um, read it real quick if that's okay. It comes from a man who um, has ALS, which is a horrifying um, disease uh, that Travis could probably talk to you about more intelligently than I. Um, but it's commonly like Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah, right? that's that's yeah, that's yeah. same thing. Yeah. So um, he wrote an op-ed for The Nation magazine. And the title of it is I'm Dying. Here is why I refuse to accept with serenity. Subtitle, voting is not nearly enough. We need to become organizers. This is by A.D. Barkin. On September 30th, 2016, Rachel and I celebrated one year of marriage and 11 years together by booking a hotel room in Los Angeles and going out for fancy Asian fusion. It was our first night away from our four-month-old son, Carl. Rachel had a great job as an English professor in Santa Barbara. My career as a progressive activist was going gangbusters. We had just bought a beautiful house and could see decades of happiness stretching out ahead of us. We were the luckiest people we knew. 
The next morning, we had brunch with my oldest friend, a first-year medical resident. I mentioned to her that my left hand was feeling weak, and after playing with it for a few minutes, she told me I needed to see a neurologist. The following Friday, at the ripe old age of 32, I was given my death sentence. The Mm. doctor told me I had ALS, which would rapidly destroy all the connections between my brain and my muscles, leading to complete paralysis and death, likely in three to four years. Jesus. Three weeks later, our world was turned upside down a second time when America elected a racist kleptocrat to the White House. Like many people suddenly confronted with agonizing loss, I looked for answers in Buddhism. Pima Chodron teaches us that when the ground disappears beneath your feet, the solution is not to flail around in a desperate attempt to find a handhold. It's to accept the law of gravity and find peace despite your velocity. Leave the mode of doing and enter the mode of being. Accept things as they are, rather than yearning for them to be otherwise. Such radical acceptance is in tension with my identity as a movement builder. Activism is precisely about not accepting the tragedies of this world, but rather on insisting that we can reduce pain and prolong life. Social justice means creating a stable floor beneath our feet, and then putting a safety net under that to catch us if it suddenly vanishes. Universal health insurance, affordable housing, unemployment benefits— Being a part of a progressive political movement is about fighting back and building toward a better future. Acceptance is not part of our vocabulary. The theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, whose most famous disciple, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., would become the patron saint of American organizers, sought to resolve this tension in his serenity prayer, asking for the serenity to accept what cannot be changed, the courage to change what can be, and the wisdom to know the difference. I've tried to internalize this worldview, I'm no longer ruffled by Quitodian nonsense or even by the onset of new symptoms, such as when earlier this month I stopped being able to feed myself. I've come to accept that my ALS is progressing faster than average, that my body is wasting away quickly, and that what I have today will soon be gone. There is one thing that still overwhelms me, when I imagine the future life of Rachel and Carl, who is now two. The weekend hikes, the afternoons on the basketball court, the evenings playing backgammon and doing homework— the mornings eating breakfast and laughing about the latest absurdity emanating from Washington, D.C. These are the moments that I picture spending with them in an alternate universe. When this mental exercise brings me to tears, as it always does, I try to be at peace in my sorrow, but it's not easy. Because of the weakness in my lips and tongue and my shortness of breath, becoming emotional makes it difficult for me to utter the words you are reading. My fingers have lost nearly all of their strength, so typing these words is impossible. Instead, I sit with my scribe, Ayana, in my room. She now understands me better than anyone else, but even she has begun to ask me to repeat myself, even when it is quiet, even when we are sitting side by side. For 20 years, since I was a freshman in high school, I've been writing newspaper op-eds and giving timed speeches, first on the debate team and at thespian festivals, and later at press conferences and in community organizing meetings. But never before have I felt so acutely the constraining force of my word count limit. I know intuitively how many arguments I can fit into 800 words. I know when my three minutes are up, even without looking at my watch. But now, facing my final months of speech, the questions that I was taught to ask in high school have taken on a new meaning. What do I want to say? To whom? And how? I spent six weeks this summer driving across the country in a wheelchair-accessible RV with a dozen comrades in pursuit of answers— Not only to my personal queries, but also our nation's ones. What kind of country will Carl's generation inherit? And what will it take over these coming precious months to save our democracy? 
In 20 states and the District of Columbia, we met citizen activists who are grappling with these very same questions, pouring their entire being into crafting tolerable answers. Some, like me, are dying and throwing themselves into this November's election because they know it may be their last chance. But many others with longer life expectancies are doing the same thing. It turns out that our collective time horizon is the same. We peer into the future and hope that our children's children will grow up in a more just and equitable society. In nearly every congressional district, voters say their top concern is health care. The high cost, the lack of access, the bureaucratic headaches. I heard these complaints in small towns, big cities, and suburbs from coast to coast. But these complaints are symptomatic of a much more profound problem. Our democracy is broken, and it seems we have lost the ability to solve our collective challenges. Everywhere we went, we met voters who've been disabused of the notion that our elected representatives are pursuing the public good, disabused of the quaint idea that our government is of the people, by the people, and for the people. And yet, throughout our travels, the cynicism was being overcome by a different emotion, hope. All around the country, we met people who can see beyond the stark moment into the bright light of another world. For the first time in many decades, our national politics are being shaped not only by fear and hatred, but also by our dreams for a better world. Each month, more organizers, activists, candidates, and elected officials are talking about reshaping American society in a radically humane way. This vision encompasses both negative and positive rights. Freedom from an unjust incarceration, racist policing, inhumane immigration enforcement, economic exploitation, sexual violence, and political disenfranchisement. And a set of public policies that gives us the freedom to thrive, debt-free education from pre-K through college, decent housing, the guarantee of a good job, clean energy, retirement security, and free and robust Medicare for all. Focusing on the moment and immersing myself in the task at hand has been my salvation over the past two years. Peering into the future has been too dispiriting and too overwhelming. But there is so much to embrace in this very moment, so much work here right in front of us. This was the message that I settled on somewhere between the cornfields of the Great Plains and the glistening waters of the Great Lakes. The notion that the cure to what ails American democracy is more American democracy. That our problems are created by people, and that we can only solve them with people power. And that, as Rebecca Solnit teaches us, hope is not a lottery ticket that can deliver us out of despair, but a hammer for us to use in this national emergency. Break the glass, sound the alarm, and sprint into action. What action? Voting is not nearly enough. This moment calls on us all to become organizers, to be heroes for our communities and future generations, to talk to our less political friends, neighbors, classmates, coworkers, to enlist them in this experiment we call American democracy. This is our Congress, our country, and our future for the making. The past few weeks have borne witness to the potency of hopeful organizing. In the summer, the conventional wisdom in Washington held that Brett Kavanaugh was a sure bet to be confirmed to the Supreme Court. But in August, a handful of organizations began a campaign of civil disobedience to resist him. And in early September, as the Senate reconvened for what was supposed to be a smooth confirmation process, more than 200 brave women said no. They disrupted the hearings, focused the nation's attention on the moral stakes of the nomination, and created space for bold Democratic senators to push Kavanaugh on his immoral ideology and dishonest testimony. Meanwhile, over 123,000 American citizens pooled their small contributions into a $3.5 million war chest and joined activists in Maine to deliver a clear message to Senator Susan Collins. If you vote for Kavanaugh, it will cost you your job. Collins, Fox News, and Senator Ted Cruz of Texas complained that we were engaging in bribery. That's their ideology in a nutshell. 
Corporate donors can buy all the access and influence they want, but regular American citizens must remain silent. This response is as old as class hierarchy itself, because there is no more dangerous threat to the status quo than collective action by the masses. In late September, Kavanaugh's confirmation was thrown into doubt because Christine Blasey Ford testified that he'd attempted to rape her in high school, and most Americans believed her. In an act of mass solidarity with Blasey Ford, thousands of survivors told their stories for the first time. The Me Too movement has been building public consciousness for a year, and its legion of members were determined to prevent the Senate from repeating its embarrassing performance in 1991, when Anita Hill testified during the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings. Hundreds of survivors and their allies boarded buses to D.C., thousands more organized rallies and vigils in their hometowns. In Senate offices and elevators, on Facebook and around the dinner table, a mass movement of Americans insisted that we deserve so much more from our Supreme Court and our Congress. Some of us even entertained the fantasy that we might be able to run out the clock until a new Congress convenes in January and possibly save the Supreme Court seat. One can hope. And then organize. And sometimes that struggle will pay off. Sometimes, though, our struggle is not enough. ALS destroys my body, no matter how many medicines I take or exercises I do. Sometimes, oftentimes, white supremacy, violent misogyny, and rapacious capitalism rip apart our families and destroy lives, regardless of how well we organize. And sometimes, oftentimes, our stories are not powerful enough. Despite our best efforts, Brett Kavanaugh has been confirmed and will do lasting damage to America and its people. Yet, it is in these moments of defeat that hopeful collective struggle retains its greatest power. I can just transcend my dying body by hitching my future to yours. We can transcend the darkness of this moment by joining the struggles of past and future freedom fighters. That is how, when we reach the end of our lives and look back on these heady moments, we will find peace in the knowledge that we did our best. There's a seeming paradox embedded in the third part of Niebuhr's prayer, because the wisdom to know the difference between what we can and cannot change can only be learned through struggle. Neuroscientists seek a cure for ALS because they do not accept its inevitability. Organizers rage against the machines of capitalism with that same determination. It is only by refusing to accept the complacency of previous generations that the impossibility becomes true, becomes reality. For me, Niebuhr's prayer is true, most true if rearranged. Collective courage must come first, wisdom second, and serenity at the very end. Wow, it's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and a good reminder, like, you know, just take it for granted because right now if we're healthy and getting by, uh, it's, we, still, <laughs> we still have to be activists. Yeah, and he's not. And he's still doing the very best he can for the rest of us. I think the least we can do is allow him to hitch his hopes to our future, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and allow that message to penetrate and take his struggle and make it our struggle when he's gone. For sure. So we're coming up to the break now. When we come back, we got a lot to talk about. The whole deal in Saudi Arabia uh, with uh, the Saudi regime uh, murdering a journalist because they didn't like him and the possible fact that our uh, presidential administration may have been complicit in that. We're going to talk about that. We'll talk about the bombshell article in the New York Times about Trump being a tax cheat for all his life mm-hmm. and how that's completely been overshadowed since they dropped it right in the middle of the Kavanaugh mess, either mm-hmm. by design or who knows what. Yeah. And we got more stuff, so don't go anywhere. Plenty to talk about. 
Hello and welcome back to Irreverent Testimony. Let's try to make this not as depressing as the first half. Sorry uh, about that, guys. No guarantee there. The world is <laughs> kind of horrible any way you slice it. I know. And speaking of which, uh, many of you may have heard about a journalist who was lured to Saudi Arabia and then murdered and dismembered, apparently by the uh, regime uh, of... Mohammed bin Salman, I think that's his name. He was very, very close to Trump, very close to the Americans. I mean, the Saudis always have been. This is nothing that's unique to Trump. Um, right. So this was like a foreign journalist who worked for the Washington Post. So yes. Like an American journalist, but he did like coverage of yes. things in the Middle East. Yeah, he's an, he, he's an American resident. He had a green card. Right. Not a citizen, which Trump was very excited to point out. To right. The media. And he was very critical of some of these regimes. In well, the that the funny thing was... He he wasn't like super hypercritical of the Saudi government. He had been a little more so lately, but he wasn't sort of like a, a raving, super uh, rabble-rousing critic. I think the issue was he's kind of interesting when you go in his background. He used to kind of be sort of an inside man for the Saudis and, and sort of do their bidding as mm. a spokesman or a reporter almost. It's, it's complicated, and most people... It, we're just sort of now learning the depth of the connection. It, it goes back a ways. He goes all the way back to covering the Mujahideen, and then the right wing has been trying to sort of vilify him by calling him a terrorist sympathizer for covering the Mujahideen. Of course, back then they were our allies in the war against the Soviets, so I, I, I can't even get into that. It's so stupid. I mean, I don't think that it... I think that killing a journalist... Um, two things about that. One... It's really fucking stupid because <clears throat> considering that um, journalists are the ones who write, are the ones who <laughs> like, report on things, killing one of their own is a really bad idea because they're just going to be obsessed about it until they figure out, right? More so than like other things. Um, killing, imprisoning, prosecuting journalists is something that journalists cover. Yeah. Ad nauseum to the yeah. point where it's the most important story that ever happened. Uh, uh, yeah. And secondly, it is important because the press is important and and free press is important and not doing those things to journalists is a cornerstone of how, you know, societies should function. Right. They should be able to report on things without fear of um, retribution. Yeah. But it's also really stupid because, right, like. You killed one of theirs, well, so they're just going to talk about it forever let, let, and investigate let, it forever. Let, let's talk about why a a regime, a totalitarian regime in this era, in this day and age, not that totalitarian regimes have always behaved themselves before, but it certainly in this era, with the leadership that we now have in the United States, might feel emboldened to do things like this, right. where we might murder dissidents abroad in the United Kingdom if we're the Russians or mm -hmm. we might capture and, and murder a journalist who's been saying things that are bad for our regime like these things they're not coincidental right with the fact that there is a giant leadership chasm true leadership in the United States in terms of you may think Trump's a strong leader because he's bellicose and, you know, he saber rattles and says mean things on Twitter and whatever and yells locker up at rallies. But, like, real strength comes from... Discipline? Well, it, it comes from having the influence and the moral authority where if you are 
you are sitting there, you're a despot of some country, and you say, ooh, this, this journalist, he's saying things that are pissing me off. We should just we should just get him over here and cut his friggin' head off. And like, you can't do that, dude. The Americans will, you know, they'll be up our ass. Mm-hmm. And all right, all right. And, and you know, it's not because their, their heart is bigger. It's because they, they, <laughs> they fear the moral authority. And you can, of course, question, I'm not saying the United States has always had this great moral authority, but no. certainly they've had leadership where they might have thought twice before doing shit like this. Right. And now really leaders don't. And there's been a whole bunch of things that have been happening Particularly Saudi Arabia, though, in terms of why they are not scared of Trump is because of the tremendous history of business ties and, and well, financial dealings. With Kushner especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, with Saudi Arabia. It seems very likely that Saudi Arabia helped bail Kushner out of a lot of bad business uh, real estate deals he has been heavily involved in. Um, and he's very close with uh, Ben Salman himself is Kushner. Uh, we, we don't know the extent of that. And, and we won't know the extent of that certainly before the midterms and with this Republican uh, Congress because they don't want to get to the bottom of it because right. it could look bad for them and Trump. Right. So they're talking about, I mean, they understand how bad this looks. And even Trump today was like, this is serious and we're going to get to the bottom of it. Punishment. Of course, mm-hmm. he, always, he always says, but they deny it very vehemently. Yeah. Like that's his, that's, his, that's his go-to card, right? Well, he's like, a narcissist. So if someone tells him something, he assumes that it's true. <laughs> Which, yeah, I suppose, but there's as long all... as they paint it in flowery language, you know, and it's something that benefits him in some way, then there's no reason for him to assume it's not true. Sure, because sure. the whole world revolves around him. Uh, the the flip side of that is like he's he's always gotten by on just denials of everything, and mm-hmm. you know, so right. But he doesn't frame things in terms of like anything other than himself. So. Right. Right. If someone has been nice to him before and they tell him something bad isn't true, then they, there's, yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. Russia denies election. They deny it. They so deny it. Be, Kavanaugh denies it. I, yeah, it's important. It's a, it, he denies it. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter that he denies <laughs> things that are obviously true. Right. <laughs> right. He's no. special. Other people have to tell the truth because it's him that they're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. In any event, though, I'm very skeptical. And, and I've been arguing with people on Twitter, uh, international relations professors and pundits and academics. Oh, this is a big deal. And even even the Republicans are going to stand up to Trump mm. on this. I'm like, no, no, they're not. Mm. Not the media the will. The media will. The media will be all over this. They already are. Um, but to an extent, the they can get distracted. No. Yeah. <laughs> they don't give a shit. They don't give a fuck. They don't care. First of all, it's not like. It happened here. So, like, the rest of the world doesn't really exist. Right. And he's just an American resident. That's a green card holder. It's barely. So who fucking yeah. is a journalist for the Washington Post? Like, ugh. Nobody. Well, it's fine. They'll forget about it in a couple yeah. days. It's fine. What they aren't counting on, though, is like what I said before that the media is going to. is rabid. Killed one of us, right? Yeah, yeah. And hopefully they don't get distracted off of this. As and- rabid about. Other things. Well, I, th- I think there's I, there's important questions that need to be answered. Like we have no proof to say anything crazy. Like Trump and Kushner were somehow complicit in this, or that they knew. No. There, there, there's some evidence, maybe that that United that the U.S. Uh, intelligence services might have known this was in the off offing, and they didn't warn him. But that's not really clear. Um, I don't think this has anything to do with Trump and Kushner necessarily in terms of like that they were a part of it. I just think that their 
complicity in the aftermath is just sort of like, well, these are our friends. Oh, they, they wanted to go away monetarily. So like, we're not going to like do anything. No, to no. Think they, about it critically and, at all. And you have Trump talking about, well, I can't, I can't cost American jobs because we have this <laughs> right, this big this great uh, deal, deal which, which doesn't exist, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all bullshit. Right. Uh, and yeah, I mean, they've been pretty transparent actually about like. No, let's just this. I just hope this goes away. Right, like he's like, oh, Raytheon, and like you know, like all these, you know, defense contractors. We don't want to make Americans lose jobs, and it's like, well, I think that this is important enough to maybe <laughs> yeah. like wonder about my like any sort of contracts that you have for um, military weapons. Uh, and, and again, we talked about be... this before. It's the private sector that's leading the way in this. Yeah, Richard Branson just just canceled i think a big thing and there was a big uh there's there's a big economic thing that the saudis are hosting that a bunch of people are dropping out of like the it's actually the corporate world that's like hey no we reject this uh we're we're in this bizarre upside down it is the bizarre upside down because it's it's like you know our we're supposed to be in a representative democracy where we elect people who then vote on our behalf and they're doing that and so instead we're in this um capitalismocracy where corporations are like oh people are going to be mad at us if we do this thing like corporations are more scared of the american public than our elected representatives are yes yeah and i mean that's what happened in north carolina and in texas with some of the the bathroom laws and the religious freedom yeah. stuff the the corporations had to step in and say no no this like right isn't gonna work right and then the politicians caved to oh. them oh okay well, those right, are our we'll donors off. yeah like fuck the people right corporations literally rely on the people because we're the ones that buy their products so they have to care but politicians don't because they rely on the corporations mm-hmm. to provide their money so it's not it's not a bribe though it's free speech right remember that mm-hmm. at all times mm-hmm. but anyway uh this it's a mess and it, it, it's ugly and, and the question does need to be asked this cozy relationship how much of that had has to do with uh the lack of the seeming lack of response so far and why the Saudis felt emboldened to do it. And, and what did security services know? And potentially what did Kushner? I, I don't think they'd be that stupid to get a call from the Saudi regime and say, hey, we're going to do this thing. Is it cool? And them saying yes. But you know, fucking weirder, stupider things have happened with this bunch. I, mm-hmm. I can't rule anything out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, I don't want to allege that anything. No, we, that don't, we, don't, we know. don't have any proof of that. But like, I think the thing that we can know and that we can talk about is the response has been lukewarm at best. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, that and, and finally telling, Trump is realizing like, Oh, that's not enough. I better talk tougher. He right. at least figured that out today. Right. Or someone told him. Yeah. Right. Kelly probably. Mm-hmm. Hey, you got to talk tough about this. Right. Okay. Okay. Oh right. yeah. We're going to, there's going to be harsh consequences. Severe punishments. We're really going to look into it. I know that's it. a hard word. Punishments. Very, but it's very true. strongly. Mm-hmm. Whatever the fuck that means. Yep. It means nothing. No. So there's that. Uh, I want to pivot to the big New York Times article that dropped right in the middle of the Kavanaugh fiasco. It wasn't an article. It was a, it was a basically a whole giant. Uh, how do we, how would you describe it? Like a a piece. Yeah. A, an investigative journalism piece. And, and I, I that's been I, I in the workings for months. Months. And I haven't read it in its entirety. I have I'll be not honest. either. I've just looked at bits and pieces, but it's. I mean, it, it's very well sourced, articulated proof that that Trump his whole life, first of all, that he every, this notion that, that he's a he's self-made guy not. is total bullshit. Yes. It was always his dad's money. Yes, 
and he's been a tax cheat since day one. Yes. Um, yes. To the point where a lot of it is criminal. Yeah. And it's kind of met with everybody as a shrug. With uh, You know? I know. And I, I've been thinking about that a lot. And I think it's met with a shrug because we sort of already knew that. Yes. Now, this should be a really important story. And I think it is a really important story. And I hope that... You know, prosecutors and, and law enforcement officials look at this and look at the trail of evidence and do their due diligence to make sure that that there any crimes that were committed are, you know, brought to charges. Um, I think for the American people, it's like, well, obviously, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, he wouldn't raise his tax returns. And like, obviously, he's a ta- he's kind of bragged about it. In yeah, debates. he, he kind of like, went on the record. He's kind of like it's we already knew that. So yeah. we're like, oh, good job reporting that. But like. Yeah, that's baked. We kind of right? already knew that yeah. that was true, so I think that the fervor over like, why is this not more important? Is like because we already knew that, like we already all assumed that that was true, and having facts about it. Also, I think we're in a place right now that like that doesn't matter either. Like nothing happens when we know things. It doesn't make any difference. So <laughs> right. it's like, oh yeah, that's okay. Well, now we at least we for sure know we already knew, but like. Here's the facts. Not that those facts will matter. Moving on, because what are you gonna do? Like, what? Who? Who's gonna care? What does it? What difference does it make? Who's gonna care? Yeah. The Republican Congress, the DOJ, like the the SEC, like the IRS. They should. They should, (laughs) but like. I don't know if they will. We're, we're also we're also in a place now where something like this would have mattered ten years ago. Any other time other than two years ago, and now it just kind of doesn't. No, nope. we're we're in a post world of that kind of stuff mattering. Um, of course, maybe it'll b- balloon into something more because actual people whose jobs it is to look at things like this will do something. Um, but I don't, I think the reason it's met with a just sort of collective shrug is that we're just not certain that our institutions are robust enough anymore to actually do something about this, to actually do their jobs. I think that's where we are. I think that's fair. Yeah. So, I mean, keep your eye on that. Uh, There's people like certainly Greg Dworkin and and, and other people I respect a lot think this is a big deal and it'll eventually it'll simmer and it'll grow. And I hope so. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. But like Uh, public outrage about it does what? Uh, <laughs> well, that's complicated, right? <laughs> Public outrage, if it leads to people voting a certain way or pressuring their congressperson to do something or uh, law enforcement to take some sort of action, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't either. But I mean, I, I remember like looking at the headline. And He's not going to get impeached tomorrow. I'll tell you that. And going like, yeah, no, I know. I mean, I didn't know, but I figured you know, yeah, so we, we kind of like, knew, but this presented oh, a lot of the background and the proof, cool, cool. right? Yeah, and it's it's really you know startling and upsetting, and you know, well, it's also the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's not yeah. that I mean, it's, that yeah. doesn't cover the money laundering aspect and the Russian mob aspect and and the mafia with the with the casinos. Like Mueller's on top of all that stuff. I think that's right, but I'm sure he already knew all of this prior to this oh, yeah. New York Times article yeah. or piece. But, um, but I mean, I don't know. I, I, yeah. 
So what else do we want to get into? Um, Let's talk about Beto for a hot second. Okay. So Beto O'Rourke is really giving it his all against Ted Cruz. Yeah. Um, he. I've been following this guy for a couple of years now. Yeah. And I think this is something I wanted to talk about earlier, too, is I think the polls are saying, like, he's not going to win. He's pulling in a shitload of money. Um, he's got a lot of support, sort of grassroots and and throughout, like, social media, and he's sort of become, like, a star in his own right. Yeah. And polls are showing that, like, he's going to lose. And we were talking earlier about, like, polls also show that, like, the Republicans will probably hang on to the Senate. Right. And it's going to be hard for us to get the House. And I'm wondering, in the post-Trump era, um, how much we give a shit about polls or think that they're uh, accurate. I think it'll be an interesting question after November 6th. You know, I, I think it's tough. This midterm is is unlike... In Any. some ways, it's going to be like midterms because the, the, the sitting president or party in power is always going to take a hit yeah. in the next midterms. Yeah. But... Like, it's even different now because, remember, classically, people of color, young people, liberals, they don't, we don't show up for midterms. This is, this is why we're so fucked. Yes. Like, we show up for general elections. Uh, midterms, we don't. And that is why you see these state houses everywhere that have been able to do this voter suppression crap. Mm-hmm. And certainly with the Congress, why it's so red. Like, we just keep getting our clock cleaned. In midterms, because we don't show up, and a lot of pollsters are just kind of assuming, look, we got to go with history until we're proven otherwise, and mm-hmm. that's the smart thing to do. It is, but I don't think it's right. It may not be, but we won't know until we know, right? And, and there's some polling, and, and that, again, this is the problem with polling too. A lot of these polls are still landlines and calling during the day, and like not reaching everybody. But they, they, they try to compensate for that, and every and and now polls are getting wild, right? You see these polls. Like I saw one the other day, literally one after another, one showed Scott Walker up one and the next day there was one that showed him down 10. There was one that showed Kristen Cinema down six and the next day there was one that showed her up four and they're all over the place and they all have different methodologies and it's going to be really hard except for ones that are like steady and consistent. Like Tammy Baldwin is up like 14 to 15 in every single poll. She's probably safe, right? Mm -hmm. But some of these other ones, you don't really know. We don't really know what it's going to look like. Right. And I mean, I think that we have to just come to terms with the fact that polling is kind of outdated and um, not very effective right now. Like, I just think that's true. And I think sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. I think we'll see what happens. Yeah. But I think this midterm is unlike any other election this country's ever seen. Um, And I think that, We'll see. Yeah, yeah. But like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't I'm really hopeful. give a shit about the polls right I'm, now. I'm hopeful just, that we're gonna yeah. sh- we're gonna show up in ways that we typically don't for midterms, and that's gonna be helpful. But until it happens, I can't guarantee it. No, I know, uh, I know. And this I, is the I, other thing I want to get to. Yeah. This thing I'm seeing all over the place, especially post Kavanaugh, but just generally speaking, there's a lot of white dudes who would like to scold. The rest of us about voting. 
Yeah. Why don't young people vote? You have to get out and vote. You have to go vote. Why don't people of color? Why don't women? Why are you voting this way? Why are you voting this way? All of those are valid questions. Young people should fucking vote at 100% capacity. People of color, you should fucking leave alone because they already vote at higher rates than any other demographic in this country if they can. And they vote the fucking right way. Yes. Uh, Women are not a monolith. And to be fair, the majority of American women did not vote for Donald Trump. The majority of American women did not vote for Donald Trump. Right. 53% of white women did. That's a valid point and we should discuss it. What I'm sick and fucking tired of is white men scolding everybody else about voting and the majority of white men voted for Donald Trump. Oh yeah. The majority of them. So fucking let's look inward for fuck's sake. Stop with this nonsense. Stop depending on everybody else. To Stop. Save us, yeah. You're you have to save us because we just we'll, no. Go talk to yourselves. Go fix your <laughs> shit. Go fix your shit. If white men never ever voted, right? Like if we just abolished voting for white men in this country, and I'm serious about this. If white men were not allowed to vote, and that includes you, and I love you, but no. If all white men were not allowed <laughs> I'll to take vote, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll all white men would not or just not allowed to vote. Imagine. What would happen? The problem is not everybody else. Yeah. The problem is white men. White men are the people who benefit from the patriarchy and from white supremacy and from capitalism. And white men are the people who perpetuate those things in the way that they vote. You're, you're absolutely right. So the next right. time a fucking white dude tells me as a woman I should go vote, I want to fucking pluck his eyes out and be like, why don't you go fix your people? Why don't you convince some other white men not to be fucking garbage? How about white men either don't vote or they vote differently. Hold on, hold on. Can, can in sort of a defense that that is making an assumption that if I'm a liberal white man, my peers are a bunch of other white men. Uh, for me, no. I don't need them to be your peers. You need to go talk to fucking white dudes. Well, or at least like at the very least stop stop with the scolding of everybody else. I, I agree with that part, but let's 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 put that into a thought experiment for a second. Let's say I decided to call up your dad mm-hmm. or my dad. Yeah. And tell him all the reasons he's wrong and he should vote, you know, should should not vote for uh uh Cory Gardner in 2020 because it's the only relevant election where whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the only thing that'll accomplish is it'll, I'll get very mad and he'll get very mad and we won't like each other a bunch and Right. Nobody, I think nobody's that, mind is going to be I feel changed. like we just shouldn't let white men vote. <laughs> okay. Well. I'm serious. Let's just take them out of the equation. You're done. You're already in power. Why do you get to vote? You uh, vote to, you are the majority and you vote to sustain your own supremacy. Well, I'm agreeing. I, I'd be willing to take that one for, take that for the team, but it, it, more realistically, like maybe you do have some peers that'll listen to you or that you can engage in or talk to. I, I happen to not have a bunch of... White I know, male we were trying to think about, like, do we have any straight like, white dudes? That's the problem, in our right? Lives? And, I don't and all, think all other the white men you? I do know are very queer and liberal, you know, pretty much. No, yeah, like straight cis white men. I, I feel like we have, like... There's a dearth of them, right? Right, there's, like, maybe, like, two. Right, so <laughs> that's the problem. There's our dads. Our dads are not <coughs> voting Democrat anytime. Like, my dad no. will occasionally sit out... And that's about the best I can hope for. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I. but you're right. You're right. It, it, it is shitty to scold the other groups who are not the problem. Right. Uh, and it's like, say, save me 
my my p- actual peers are terrible, so I need your group. Why don't you? Why get don't you step stick? up some more? Yeah. yeah. How about you do more than just literally having to survive us? In in addition to having to survive us, how about you also save us yeah. from our brethren? Yeah. Why don't you go fuck yourselves and figure out how to fix this shit? Because you created it, and it's your job to fix it. And we'll keep coming out and we'll keep voting. And look, I'm talking to white women all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? That's my job. It's to try to rearrange the brains of women for whom the patriarchy has made believe that they are inferior and that they should hate themselves and that th- that people that are like them should never be in power. Yeah. Doing my best. As a white guy, I think there is a level of frustration that we've... and And, and we've kind of given up on our peers. It's like... I can't go down to Rusty's bar and talk politics with the guys. I'll lose my fucking mind. Like, I, I mean, but oh, sorry, do it anyway. <laughs> okay, fair. I mean, you you have incremental conversations with people at the level where they are in the ways that they can hear you until they hear you. I can't go down to Rusty's bar and talk to a bunch of white dudes about politics because they won't no. listen to a word I have to say. No, that's at best. <laughs> At worst, I'm yeah. at risk of physical violence right. and worse. Yeah. Right? I mean, I talk to Republican women all the time, and I don't start with, how dare you not be an intersectional feminist, right? It's yeah. like, this is not where you start. No. You start with where they are and somewhere that they... Try to find some common ground. Yeah. yeah. And I know that that sounds like such a cliche, but it's fucking true. It works. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about their kids if they have them. Right. I don't have kids, but I like don't hate kids just because I'm a woman. Doesn't Talk have about health care. Talk about health care. Talk about whatever the struggle is. They're going like, oh, you're selling your house and it's really hard. What's what's hard about it? Right. Like you mm-hmm. dig in and you go, what's hard about it? Oh, and you'll always find this something thing, where they've been voting right? against their self-interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always. People who vote Republican almost always vote against their own self-interest. So right. you find that thing and then you basically manipulate it until you can make them understand that well, like it's, it's not even a matter of manipulation it's just bringing them facts and and you know details that they just hadn't thought of before hadn't been exposed to before because all they watch is fucking fox news right but you got to present it in a way that's like that's not, not confrontational right. and scolding it's and, not it's like yeah i know and like what do you think I about struggle this? with the same thing. Right. What do you Feel think about felt this? Found. Wouldn't yeah. it be good if somebody could help us and maybe that somebody should be somebody who could help everybody and maybe that everybody might be like the government. Mm-hmm. You know? Like maybe that's something that nobody should have to go through and we should like make sure that nobody is taken advantage of in this way. Right. And the only way to do that is to make a law. And the only people that want to make that law are Democrats. Because you the other party wants to make that not ever be a law because their interests aren't your interests, right? Yeah. Speak, speaking of which, can we can we change gears to the uh, big UN report about how the climate uh, is just completely fucked? Yeah. So it's nothing, again, we already know. We just need to be reminded from time to time. Um, but really now... It's way more present. Like, it's 2040? I would say that at this point... Um, Trying to change the hearts and minds of Jim Inhofe and and Donald Trump and John Cornyn to make them realize that climate change is real. Like we're we're just we're light years past that. It's really about mitigation now. Right. It, so two things about that. One, 
it was never about changing hearts and minds. They already know it's true. They don't care. It's about money. Right. Two, we're way past preventing climate change. We're past that. Well, I think over. I think they've actually them and certainly Republican voters have actually talked themselves into the idea that a it's not real or b it's not as bad as the eggheads think. It I is. think your average person who votes Republican that's true for. I think uh-huh. for people who are in the know, um, it's very cynical, and it's we know and we don't care because it's about well, money. These senators have beach houses too and beachfront property. I mean, like, I was just talking uh, to our landlord, and he was saying that like or our apartment manager who was saying that our landlord has a bunch of properties on Panama Beach and his properties were perfectly safe because they're beachfront. However, they are raised up above the sand dunes and so the water goes over the sand dunes and just floods the poor people. Yeah. So, you know. Well, who's going <laughs> to... Yeah, your no, property, I mean, who's going to live there if it's there's three feet of water? Okay, right, so like his, so the water won't destroy the property, but you still can't live there. You can't drive to it. No, I think it still matters. I mean, it does, but like this is their mentality. Okay, well that's nice, but you like and Ches- Chesapeake Bay is sinking, but it's full of Republicans, so they want to blame it on something else, but not climate change. It's like uh, forget about like at at a certain point, and and I can talk about the etiology of this, but at a certain point, the whole climate change argument stopped being about science and started becoming partisan, mm-hmm. and that's when we were completely fucked. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when it was basically over. We had an opportunity, though. Oh, we did to and, fix it and, about and, twenty and, years ago, and, 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 and everybody didn't. was on the same page. Even Republicans were like, "Oh yeah, shit, this is something we got to take care of." Mm-hmm. But then the the basically the oil lobby and the oil execs who were very tight with them said, "This is going to hurt our bottom line." Yep. Like, yeah, you know what? Maybe we're getting too carried away with this climate change thing. Let's, uh, you know, and and we know that Chevron fudged reports, kept two sets of books, and all this other shit, and um, very similar to what the tobacco companies did, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with their alternative science. But yeah, and, and it's still a partisan issue. So it's happening, and they'll just keep denying it, or they'll keep blaming it on something else, mm-hmm. and like. Congress is never going to look – it's certainly not within the next – like we have like a very, very small window of a couple years to try to radically change everything to, to actually – Which just won't happen. Which just won't happen. It just like, won't happen. The makeup of, of the government, you'd basically have to eliminate the entire Republican Party. And, it's not going to happen. And radically change the entire way that our society works worldwide. Even at this you, point. Yeah, you don't have to get rid and of a bunch of Democrats. And we, I mean, we've had 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of knowing that this is going on to do that, and we've chosen not to do that. And in fact, currently, in the last two years, we're rolling back things yeah. that could help with that, not to mention not doing the like really severe things that need to be done. Yeah. So for me, and I think for people who are sort of thinking about this from a pragmatic perspective, it's not about... Um, uh, preventing climate change anymore and it's not about convincing people that it's a real thing it's really about mitigating the coming yeah. and inevitable effects of climate change and how that's going to affect actual human beings and actual life on this earth because we're done I mean we we, fu- we done fucked this up it's over there's there's really not anything we can do yeah it's a question of how bad is it going to be <laughs> yeah and what can we do to mitigate those things that are inevitably going to happen as a result of climate change that's yeah. it i mean we we done fucked this up oh yeah and, we didn't and, listen and, we didn't and, do and the, we hor- didn't, the horrible part you know? is we fucked it up so that for a couple decades some very high level oil execs rich people could make more money 
could could be multi billionaires instead of just multi multi millionaires. Correct. That's what we're talking about yep. here. Because yep. we, we we introduced all kinds of compromises that might have helped. Cap and trade. We could have cut back. We could have made more fuel efficient we vehicles. Could have done we, we, so many things. without eliminating oil. Like he like that was never the most extreme option, and that and that was always the scare tactics they used, right? No one was ever proposing that. No. No, no one has ever. We just, we in just government, wanted to scale it back. Sure. But we couldn't clear. do that. A lot of people have. So we're screwed. We no, are screwed. No, no, we're done. It's, we fucked it up. It's, and you're feeling it. You're feeling it. Like, and it it's happens. It's not even happening necessarily slowly. I guess by people's uh, judgment, it happens slow. But it, it is hotter. Every year is hotter. We, we literally feel it. And storms are more intense. And storms, more intense storms go later in the years. And they break records. And wildfires are getting more severe and and like this is happening it's it's here no it's already here yeah it's already done it's we we fucked this up we didn't prevent it uh it's done i, I think people watch the the stupid movies like the day after tomorrow and they oh, think oh that's they're waiting climate for change. like a big event yeah no no no, no. yeah no. No, no no we're already in it we're experiencing the effects of climate change that will eventually be um Detrimental to human life on this earth. It's going to cost many, many lives. And potentially all of them at some point. Um, but for now. Not only all of them, we will adapt, but it'll at what cost? Right. I mean, it won't look anything like what it looks like right now. No. So really, that's it. I mean, not to be like, this is the most depressing podcast on earth. I don't know why you listen to us. <laughs> but. Um, Tell you like it is, man. Um, it's over. So it's it's already here. And now it's about. I don't give a shit if you believe in climate change. I, it's not an argument I'm willing to have no, anymore. Yeah. It's just really about like, what are we going to do? You know, like this hurricane that just hit the panhandle of Florida, Hurricane Michael. Yeah, it's not. It's not um, like climate change made the hurricane, right? There's always <laughs> been hurricanes, but climate change very well likely had something to do with its intensity, the, the fact low that low pressure it was system that, that was intense involved, late in the, the year, in the year, how warm the waters were, yes. just a little extra warm. They say, well, the waters were a little warmer than normal. It's like, yeah, that yeah, little bit makes a huge difference. Yeah, and then this is what we get. And there are That's entire how cities leveled. Okay, from category ones to fours in a few hours. In a few hours. Yeah. And the Panhandle of Florida was completely unprepared for this. This was the worst hurricane that's ever hit them in the history of recorded weather. Mm-hmm. And so, that's the thing that we have to think about: is the Panhandle of Florida. And your backyard, wherever the fuck you live, better start thinking about, okay, what happens? What are we ready for? What are we not ready for? And what do we do when these things happen? Because we can't prevent them anymore. Well, we can They're just going to keep happening. What's happening in Colorado here, right? Uh, we've lost a lot of the snowpack and there's been a lot of drought and then we recover a little and, and so, but like we're getting into the cycle where the shit is changing rapidly. So the snowpack in Colorado, if you don't live here, you don't know this probably, but the snowpack in Colorado, which is the like buildup of snow that happens in like the 14,000 feet mountain yeah. area that, that is just always existed. You can see it with is, your eyes from uh, downtown. Right. Is a, but, but the important thing about that is not just if you live in Colorado, it's if you live anywhere west of Colorado, because that snowpack is what provides the water source for most of the western half of the United States, including almost all of California. Right. So when our we, we don't get a lot of snow, people bitch about not being able to go skiing and snowboarding, which mm-hmm. is cute. But really what it means is that the rest of the western half of the United States is going to have a drought. 
and Colorado's going to have a drought. Mm -hmm. And when droughts happen, wildfires happen. And when wildfires happen, that's really bad. Yeah. Then what happens is what's called wildfire scarring. And what it does is the burn from the wildfire scars the earth so that the next time it rains, there's flooding. Yes. And then that flooding causes another level of damage. So this isn't just like, oh, the world's getting warmer and we don't have enough water. It's like this cyclical thing that happens when we don't have enough snow, we don't have enough water. When we don't have enough water, we have wildfires. When we have wildfires, then we have flooding. And it seems like contradictory, but it's not. Yeah. And it all has to do with the climate and we're fucked. And and you can I can see it. I've lived here since 2014. I've lived here almost my whole life. And and, and I can see less and less snow in the peaks. Yep. Like I can see it from downtown. Like this is visual. Yes. When you look out at the mountains from anywhere in Colorado, the mountains are west. That's like one of our things. That's how you know where west is. Well, yeah, we live in Denver when you live in Fort Collins or yeah. anywhere along the yeah, Boulder I-25 corridor, right? Colorado Springs, yeah. Mountains are west. And you can see the mountains in the daytime and they are beautiful and it blows people's minds, which always blows my mind because I'm used to it. <laughs> and you can see the snow caps. Yeah. Any time of year, summer, spring, fall, winter, there's always snow on the mountains because they're above the tree line, right? Like they're above the timber line is what they call it. Yeah. Um, and it's really fucking elevated and it's really cold all the time, all year round. And there's always snow. Mm-hmm. And it's true that over the course of my life, it's real less snowy capped than it yeah, used to be. Yeah, we go months now where there you don't see any. Or just a little bit. Yeah. Right? And it's like, mm, well, it's This scary. seems problematic. Yeah. And then what I just described happened, mm-hmm. happens. So... And again, and, and the, the, the counter to that is, well, that's not unprecedented. We've had years like that before. I'm like, yes, but it's becoming more frequent. It's becoming normal. It's becoming regular. That's the difference. It's unprecedented and it's ongoing. Right. It's not exactly. like then all of a sudden everything goes, well, we had one weird year, but now it's fine. It's like, no, it's. This is the new it's, normal. It's normal now. This is ongoing. It's never going. It's never been back to where I remember it since. But it be- stopped being again, that way. but now because it's a partisan issue, it, it can't be discussed in any rational bipartisan manner. No. <laughs> so which is crazy. It's isn't it's about nuts. fucking politics. It's about science and it's about literally the fate of human life on this earth. That's the other thing I want to point out. Republicans are always like, oh, you know, either like God won't let that happen, which I'm not gonna get into, or <laughs> yeah. Um, or if, if God does that it happen, earth, it's because of the gays. The earth will survive. The earth will be fine. And yeah, I always say to them, sure. yes, absolutely. The earth will be f- just earth fine without us. The earth will be us. just fine without us. I the c- earth will survive. I sure. kind of like to keep for the earth sure. habitable while I'm on it. I mean. You know, and thereafter. I think the earth is going to be fine. I think the earth will be a lot better off, likely, without <laughs> human beings living on it. But what we're talking about is not the earth. We're talking about human life on earth. Yeah. And not just human life, like all life. Right. So I'm not really worried about the planet. I'm worried about the planet Our being inhabitable for us for, yeah. for life yeah, is exactly. what I'm talking about. So we don't turn into like a fucking gas cloud Venus or something. Right. <laughs> like the Earth will still be here. It'll just be a completely unrecognizable planet. But we won't be here anymore. Yeah. Or your kids, your grandkids or great grandkids or any of the shit that you care about. Yeah. But again, we're in this weird time where now science is partisan. So what can you do but say we're fucked? And we are. Yep. We had a chance to address this. We did. And, and we did not a partisan do that. thing. Yeah. 
So, he just didn't do it. So now it's about mitigation of the effects of the thing that's happening. Yeah. All it's right. It's like when you prevent a mass shooting or a terrorist attack, mm-hmm. right? You prevent it from happening um, versus, you know. You, you just wait for it to happen and then you go, Once it's oh, over, boy. you're like, oh, no. What are we going to do? <laughs> so what we're saying is like, look, the, the terrorist attack is coming. It's climate change. And... We know it's coming, so we should like, you know, we're bulletproof vests and, uh, yeah. you know. And, and I think in the last few years, we just, we've, we've lost that last vestige of hope. Like, well, we're not completely out of time. I mean, we really got to get the ball moving. Like, really, real ASAP, bad, real, real, but, real. No, now we're done. Now it's like, no, it's, we, it's we can't, we can't move the needle no. politically. No. And even if we did, it would take such extreme, um, such extreme change it, in such it, a short period of time. capitalism Yeah, at this exactly. Point. I mean, which, which, which I'm be, down for. If I'm you guys want to do that, let's talk about that. We could do that. And we could go back to a different entire kind of living. But barring that... Um, That's not terribly And I don't realistic. think it's realistic that then we're we're done. Yeah. It's it's over. And now it's about mitigation and yep. trying to get as many Preserve people as much away human from the life coastlines as, we can, as possible. And, and, and there's going to be mass migrations and there's going to be mass casualties. And, and we have to rethink agriculture yep. and transportation, water and everything. Water. Yep. Everything. Yep. And, yep. and some scientists are doing that already. But yep. No, they are. They already know we're fucked. So yeah. there are smart people working on it. But that's the thing that you got to put yourself in the headspace for is that um, don't even don't just don't bother talking to your dad about climate change anymore it's over no no yeah just just don't focus on trying to change his mind well, and it doesn't matter work on it doesn't matter yeah mitigation yeah yeah so that's where we are to uh you know this has been such an uplifting podcast <laughs> as usual so much fun as usual sorry guys it's just it's just a dark time you know so don't lose hope keep fighting the good fight we will First step in trying to rectify this happens in November. Yeah. Take, it takes a lot of work. Uh, yeah. Registration deadlines have passed in some places, but if there's still time to register, register, get your people to register, make a plan to get people to the polls. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Uber and Lyft are both offering free rides to the polls on election day. Yeah. Um, I'm going to volunteer through work to go answer um, this hotline to answer questions about voting in Colorado. Um, for legal professionals that uh, it's just literally like I don't know what to do because this happened in my ballot mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> for the next couple weeks um, I don't know try to do something good try to take the day off and like drive people around like we don't have to do that in Colorado as much because we can yeah, mail-ins mail ballots, but yeah. you know let's, let's not fuck this up y'all alright stay active stay tuned stay involved find us on Twitter at Reverend Duo Reverend Testimony at gmail.com we will talk to you next week Adios.